monsters, madness, and madness. From frozen edifice, unheeded my cause Dream silent among grey basalt halls Neither here nor ever did I belong The haunted, the hunted still stands alone And eyes enshrined this fragile kingdom awoke these eyes of forgotten bliss rise to the sun yet fall in anguish to sorrow this day would bring welcome to the monsters madness and magic podcast i am justin joined as usual by my co-host henry Today we have a very special guest, founder and driving force behind the legendary solstice, Mr. Rich Walker. Rich, how the hell are you? Uh, as I said, well, I'm freezing fucking cold. Am I, am I allowed to swear? And you smell angry. Oh, absolutely. This is a shit bugger bollocks wank fucking <laughs> fucking great. Okay, yeah. Uh yeah, I'm in Germany at the moment. It's freezing cold. Uh I think I'm just getting by at a minute. I think in a few weeks I'll have it my stride and know my ass from my elbow, as we say over here. But it's it's all good. I'm working for um, a company called Battle Merchant, which specialises in medieval reenactment and also weaponry and silver cold steel knives over here in Germany. So it's very interesting work. I'm actually uh, translating from German into English to their website or post for them to come up with the time. It's good work. I work with a bunch, good bunch of people. So I'm happy to be working for such a, and actually an interesting, and I've known the guys who started the company for over 20 years. So they're very, very close friends. That's awesome. What's the temperature right now? Uh, cold. <laughs> that <laughs> if I go out, I won't be going out in a t-shirt and just my jeans and a bullet and I should be putting a, a warm, some warm clothing on, and probably a woolen scarf. Maybe <laughs> eight, six degrees, I'm told. I've actually got another original member here with me at the time. Uh, Holy shit, who is it? It's uh, Leonard, the original drummer from Lamentations and Halcyon. Wow. He's Dutch, and he's actually visiting me for the weekend. And doing That's some badass. Stuff. Yeah, come in and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> We've been all been chain-smoking. Oh. <laughs> How's it going, man? So... This guy played on the first two demos from 1991 and 1992. And at that point, he was the guitarist. We were both the guitarists. And then we had some lineup shuffles. And then he rejoined the band in 1994, late 1995, and played on Lamentations and Halcyon. And we've been, we'd been since 1990. Yeah. So I've known Leonard for 30 years. 88 or 89. Yeah, long, long history. So how's How's it still? Uh, how's it feel to still be working together all these years later? Uh, well, we're not actually working. We just like 
motivate each other yeah. to do interesting things with our lives. Drive-by shootings, <laughs> starting weird cult, sheep worrying, yeah. And yeah, probably just starting weird cults. That's a fantastic yeah. idea. A strange cult where we're going to set ourselves <laughs> up at the top and you have to join, you have to pay like a membership fee before you even let into the cult. Yeah, that sounds like a good money maker. I got to write this down. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> believe it or not, there's several people who are practitioners of this, but they shall remain nameless. Uh, probably Donald Trump, by the way. Very mysterious folks, I assume. Yeah, all the <laughs> mysterious folks who have, have the knowledge, the elite who don't want to share it with us, you know. And if you ask them, they'll just say, ha, 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 give us your money, shit like that. Um, and after a couple of years, and you think, fuck, um, knock it on head, some shit like that. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm just hey, continuing on tangent. I know you you like to be humble about it, but you you guys have an I you guys have an idea of what Lamentations has become. How does that feel? Oh, weird. <laughs> weird. Very weird. Uh, I can tell you now when we were doing it at the time, we had no idea. There were no other the there may be a couple of other bands similar in our vein in UK, but we were the only ones who were specifically more interested in the more epics. And that kind of just laid the groundwork as the music progressed because when we originally started our main thing was oh we want to combine candle mass with some saint that'd be a couple of us and it was all very basic and we had no real idea we doing this equipment we couldn't afford a beer or chocolate <laughs> um it's just tri trial and error trying to put everything together uh, and i think probably by 1994 we got we finally managed to get some decent gear uh, we had full Marshall stacks and all the other local bands were very, very envious of us. And we just turned them up to full alt time and kept blowing us amps up and just playing as loud as possible and making everybody's ears bleed. We were issuing challenges to Man of War to come down for a drink and a fist fight and see what loud his fucking band. And I think at one point their publicist got in touch with Kerrang and said, who are these? Is? <laughs> okay, and, uh, we're just constantly, I think we had a feud with Anal Cunt of all people. And I can't remember why. It probably only lasted about three days. And I think it was someone from Candlelight Records trying to drum up publicity. But no, I've no idea how, how um, cult it's become because I find the songs very simplistic, honest, but very simplistic uh, in their approach. Um, I could write stuff like that at fucking drop of an hat. It's just like, yeah, you're sat here, you're playing a sequence of notes, and it's pretty glad. I'd like some counterpoint. But then you realise you've done it all before. Um, I think there's many, many good bands out there uh, to fight for your position as well. There's no point in sort of like retreading old ground. You've got to keep moving forward and, and trying new ideas. It is for me anyway. I know that some bands like to um, do the same thing ad nauseum, shall we say. Uh, it's a, uh, and also a lot of bands are really like we were at the beginning, no more than the, 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 the sum of the parts. They say, we want to sound like this, 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 and this. We're going to combine it all and you can listen to the back. And that's stolen and that's stolen. And it might be executed perfectly, but it takes a, a, a band who are committed maybe a, a good few years to begin to find their own sound and stop being clones, shall we? Yeah, right. I, uh, honestly, I wouldn't really like to be the barometer for how influential that album is. I mean, I do like the artwork. And I do like some of the songs, but it's not something I would go back and listen to. Uh, in fact, I haven't listened to any of for ages. The only thing I'm at the moment of the parts and new songs I've been just moving forward again and never looking back. I mean, yeah, people change, bands change, sounds change, but the one thing that always remains constant with Solstice is you're fucking heavy. 
Is that? Yeah. Well, if you're not heavy, uh, <laughs> are you playing in a fucking heavy metal band? Is it? You know, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can have light and shade, but why call it heavy metal if you're not heavy? Exactly. I find so it what... a paradox, really. I mean, why turn up with like fucking miniature amplifiers and play really quietly? We played a show in a place called Selby and I was fucking furious. I wanted to get off stage and punch a sound man and said, you're too fucking loud. I said, this is a fucking heavy metal concert, not a fucking tea party. And we were arguing with him, it's turn your amps down. No, fuck off, you turn the people up. <laughs> But you'll make the audience's ear hurt. That's what they're fucking here for. What the fuck's wrong here? It's like some sort of like glass jawed fucking Namby Pamby fucking liberal. <laughs> what a fucking arsehole. And honestly, it was one of the worst concert performances I'd ever given in terms of uh, just feeling fucking power, uh, uh, just playing loud. Um, sometimes you have to do it because the venue is small and you don't want to like blow everything up or generally have people fucking running out but when it's a big venue and you turn it down why have we bought fucking marshall stacks to this fucking gig should we turn up with like a 30 watt practice amp made in fucking china fucking no i don't fucking think so we're an heavy metal band we turn up with heavy metal equipment fuck you and one of the the best things is is it's all like and we got this off broker's elm in early 90s we read an interview with bob from broker's elm um bob was saying the PA blew up, but Broker Sound continued on martial power. And we took that as our fucking ethos at the time. We will continue on martial power. And I remember we, we played with Count Raven tour, wasn't it? And, we, and Herbert, who were doing sound, German sound guy. And we blew up fucking four, PA, four PAs fucking night after night. We were playing that fucking loud. And fucking German sound engineer, he's, a, he's an electrical engineer, he's trying to fix his PAs and we're stopping and getting bored and getting off and getting more beer and smoking. And yeah, we're ready to continue and fucking, we're sorry we've blown up another PA. Fuck you, man, who are well louder. So, yeah, I've gone off on a tangent again and I've forgotten what the original question was. Well, I was just <laughs> saying the solstice was fucking heavy and you explained it pretty Oh, yeah, cool. that's it. <laughs> I went off on a fucking wild tangent. So, there you are. Very glad to know we'll never see an acoustic album. Uh, you never know. You never know. Uh, we did actually toy with that. Um, but then I don't know what we're going to do in future. We're definitely moving off again, slightly more left field than when we were before. And that's basically due to my passion for 70s English electric folk. But it'll still be super fucking heavy because anything else would be false. And... Um, it's just that I wanted to always keep changing slightly and follow his own path rather than worry about regurgitating the same album. There's always going to be something where you're going to hear and say, fuck yeah, that's Solstice. That's what Solstice sounds like. But hey, here's something new. And I think I'd be cheating myself if I didn't put something slightly different in. Or try. I'm not going to say if there's going to be any disco parts or fucking rap or... <laughs> Skiffle or fucking some shit like that. You've more chance of fucking platting piss than any of that happening. Sorry, I'm swearing a lot because I'm getting animated, which is unusual. So, anyway, yeah. swearing is perfectly fine here. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I'm uh, well known as a, as an exponent of foul language, especially when I've had a drink. But, uh, <laughs> turn the air blue at the drop of the hat. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yourself and Eric Danielson of Watain are my two personal favorite lyricists in all of metal. Um, Eric? Eric who? Eric Danielson. He's the vocalist of Watain. Black oh, Man. yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I, I met Yeah, yeah. I, I met him in a, 
in a hotel lobby in Sweden, uh, was sat talking with me. I have no idea who it was, but I, it were me and Alan from Primordial, and he introduced me. Nice enough guy, very nice guy. Yeah, all those lads seem really nice. Um, I'd never met, met them before that. I didn't even know they were fucking playing. So, um, I think yeah. you'd enjoy them if you'd check them out. Or... I probably would. I, to be honest, I've never heard a, a, a note by them. Um, I'm generally, I had a, a phase in mid-90s where I was very, very much into black metal, a lot of sort of like more obscure European bands, and I became very interested. There's a black metal band over here out from England called Winterfilleth, and I think they're very, very epic. Uh, another one called Thorthat. Uh, there was two. In fact, there was another band. I remember the name of them, Souls and Winter. Um, were really, really good. Fantastic songs. Uh, we played a show. Uh, you know, I'll remember it eventually. Um, I, yeah. It's, it's me dementia setting in again. I've got advanced dementia. So that's <laughs> probably from eating, uh, I don't know, uh, something with too much mercury. Like a, I don't know, a thermometer or something. Whatever That'll do it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I can't remember. But there is it. I do enjoy black metal when it's done well. Um, in particular, European black. I have yet to hear personally any interesting U.S. black metal band. I think uh, I think U.S. really is the finest with bands like Slaufeg and Twisted Tower Dyer, Visigoth. Uh, anything we we Butch from Penance is a great vocalist as well. Uh, what's his band? Argus. Argus is fantastic as well. Yes. Um, I think the U.S. scene is very, very good at the moment, this type of band. The black metal bands that I checked out, I found there were a lot of fakery involved in it, and it were just a lot of kids standing yeah. in fucking woods with some big spiked wristbands on and fucking just coming out with a load of bollocks, some half-baked fucking lyrics that just don't mean anything to me. They're cobbled together from, I don't know, a fucking Alistair Crowley book and yeah. some manifesto from the temple and set or whatever yeah we're all into that right really okay well tell you what <laughs> we're all into that come down and a drink a, a beer at our local pub and have a fist fight in car park afterwards we'll a little just... bit more uh commercialization of it they're trying to sell records rather than um kind of help build that that culture that black man black metal is famous for i think well it depends i mean you've got to define culture um for all for all its fucking alleged misanthropy we a lot of black metal bands are still using blue scale structures and things like that so yeah come on guys um uh that just doesn't make make sense in, in a lot of ways or they'll use like an arabic scale and then they're all sort of like fucking closet racists or what we're not this but okay just where they, it just all seems like a mission i'm not particularly i'm doing my own shit i'm dealing with my own life problems and, and writing my own music so i don't really occasionally I'll hear a new band that jumps out of and i do listen to stuff on back on band camp I'll go and have a listen. We discovered a band a few years ago called uh, Warrior, and I think they changed the name to Black Torah, and I thought they were fantastic. And that bordered on hard rock, sort of like Priest, a bit of UFO and some Maiden and stuff. But the quality of the songs were fantastic. Uh, my friend Andrea from Metal Supremacy Records pressed that up on vinyl. So, yeah, I, I do find stuff occasionally, but it's just when I can have the time to... To look, but it's only like maybe one in ten bands that you find that you think fucking Elvis is great, really, really great. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and it becomes an absolute pleasure to listen to at that point rather than a chore. You have a very narrative quality to your lyrics, and I've always wanted to ask you personally: Have you ever pursued writing fiction in some capacity? Uh, I was at 
originally I, I was asked, I think, if I remember correctly, by the guy from DMR Books to contrib uh, contribute to uh, one of the volumes. And I kind of grew up, I taught myself to read at the age of four by reading Marvel comics, Incredible Hulk and, and, and Dracula Lives and um, Planet of the Apes, all the sort of like British imprints of the Marvel comic. And then my father read me The Lord of the Rings and I was just passionate about reading as a kid. Uh, I think a lot of it, when a teenager discovering H.P. Lovecraft and having to pick a dictionary up and think, what does that mean? What does that word? And start reading diction and reading Mark and Smithers. And as well as more what we'll call classic pulp like Robert E. Howard. Uh, you know, it's just, I kind of like, oh, it's, it's hard to describe. I just sort of like went off on a tangent. Um, uh, not particularly wanting to be like Lovecraft, but have his sort of like master of English. Uh, and put it in a way and put it in a way in a lyrical sense um to be honest this is first time i, I wrote three rough drafts of, of new lyrics uh last month and i've been working on them and this is first time in, in quite a number of years where i've sat down and said i'm going to actually get on with it instead of sort of like wasting my time by gazing at my feet or or i don't know just washing up or some mundane like going shopping to buy a lap piece of salmon or something i don't know uh but yeah getting me ass in gear and fucking writing writing lyrics again and i was pleasantly surprised i think on the last album white horse hill i handed that task to paul and paul has got his own style again and it ended up being probably about uh 25 75 split in paul's favor for that album um, but I wanted him to write the lyrics because he was singing the songs and I right. wanted him to put a lot of empathy into it rather than me presenting him with lyrics. Before, like on Death's Crown is Victory, I'd written all the lyrics for that. And then this time I wanted him to, have, to contribute more because I wanted to spend more time on music. But uh, we'll see what happens for the next album. I've just already started. God knows how it's going to take me. Obviously, there's other shit in my life going on. I've got to sort out. Perhaps a bit faster this time, I've got less distraction at the minute. I've got uh, some quiet time for a couple of months and to get a lot done in. I've shipped some equipment over here and I've borrowed some equipment and I've got a pen and I've got a paper and I've got a brain and it's still working. So I'll just carry on writing, writing lyrics. And I think I would have to be completely honest and say one of my favourite lyricists was a guy called Nick Blinko from an old 80s UK anarcho punk band called Rudimentary Penine. Uh, Nick... Uh, wrote some of the most amazing lyrics that I've ever, ever written. And they were all completely off the wall. And he's um, suffered with mental illness. And the band themselves are completely fucking out there. I remember buying their first seven inch about 1982. 14 songs on a seven inch. You read the fucking lyrics, completely fucked. And then around, might be 1987, they did the second album. And it were all based around the life of Lovecraft. And I was just so freaked out because I'd just like found Lovecraft fucking books on a second hand man, hugely into Lovecraft. And then they did a, a concept album as well and written in Nick's style. So I would have to give a, a nod to Nick's direction for influencing my writing style anyway, because I'd be a liar otherwise. Again, you develop off in your own direction. And, but if you can't admit who inspired you in the first place, you're a fucking liar. So exactly. do you know what I'm, um, so I, I, I'm not a proud man, I'll say definitely Nick Blake some Lovecraft, bits of Robert E. Howard. But again, only in the writing style, and now especially only in the writing style and not the subject. Yeah. Although a lot of the lyrics on New Dark Age were very allegorical um, and hinted at things, um, experiences uh, by 
taking magic mushrooms, for example, or just being in strange places at the wrong time. Do you know what I mean? Or just like visions what you have when you're like in a wood on your own in the middle of fucking nowhere and you start hearing things or you're down some, some certain places where I'm from, like uh, lonely country lanes where you can feel a presence and, and you can feel airs on the back of your neck standing up on sort of like derelict houses in the middle of nowhere. Do you know what I mean? Right. You feel like Something happened there in the past. Uh, that's just a, another thing. I've always been sort of like kind of sensitive to that kind of atmosphere since I were a child. So that it, it kind of influences me in a way. And that, in another way, that sort of like made me gravitate towards sort of like weird fiction and in comic books and science fiction. Although I've still not found a, a science fiction writer who I would say that sort of like inspired me in the writing style is the same as sort of like the, the weird tales guys did. So. Yeah. Right. We're already on a new dark age of specifically a song on there that I love is Blackthorn. Sometimes I just read those lyrics to get inspired myself. So I've got to ask. That's, that's, that's a weird one because I don't know where, where we were living at the time. And I were writing all those lyrics. I think I probably did them all over the period of, the, of nine months a year. And it's kind of strange because I was thinking about how I were doing them and, and I'd write them out. And then I'd look at my handwriting and then I'd say, no, this is not right. There's something not right here. And then I were kind of scribbling them down uh, and kind of doodling them in, in like, obviously, sort of like as if I were drawing them out. And then it began to feel right. And there's sort of like powering words and certain words used together. And it's, 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 it's almost like um, every word sort of like fell into place. Uh, and that one in particular, I don't know. It, it just came, came out at the time. I mean... I think for myself, my favourite on there were New Dark Age 2, uh, the lyrics to that. Um, but all of them, I mean, I love the entire lyrics for that album. I look back on them and I'm very, very fucking proud of them. And again, I, I, I wouldn't want to sort of like emulate again what were done or that subject matter. So again, we'll move off in a different direction slightly. Um, I think with next album, with Plough of the Thorns, it's going to be slightly more serious and less sort of like, It'll have some strangeness in it, and you can tell, and you'll be very much be able to tell. But it'll be it'll deal with more serious subject matter. Matter manner. Are we talking about my bad manners? <laughs> um, so yeah, Blackthorn, great one. Yeah, I, I like them all. Uh, honestly, it's like twenty five years since I started writing them lyrics, and then I finished them probably mid ninety seven. Uh, at that point, we were already demoing songs and couldn't really tell you apart from the, 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 the circumstances we were living in at the time were very, very grim because we were all unemployed. And there were, at one point, all five of the band lived in one house. And so there were very little money and what money we did have all went on beer. Um, that was just a lifestyle we led at that point. And we actually rehearsed in the, the cellar as well and it was on a long row of houses and in england we have a what we call a, a a row of terraced houses where you might get 50 houses all joined together so your next door neighbor's house is built onto yours and if they go up and you see streets and streets like this and we'd in our infinite wisdom decided to soundproof out the cellar of this house we were renting by nailing some moldy moldy carpet to the to the walls and putting some bits of plasterboard up onto the, the cellar and Obviously, it was a completely fucking pathetic attempt at soundproofing him. And when you put full Marshall stacks down there and a huge double bass drum, drum kit and have vocals going as well at the same time, 
and there were a, there were a, an old couple who lived next door to us on one side, and then there were another. I think there was some strange family who lived next door to us on the other side. So like three times a week at seven o'clock on the dot. Well, their houses started shaking, and I could just imagine that oh, bastards next door are fucking rehearsing again, and we're all fucking marshals on full of drunk it crashing away. <laughs> fucking, uh, it's, it's like um, I think I, I, I described it when we did Bloodfire Doombox in the booklet, uh, the history of the first ten years of the band, and it really we were. Fucking awful people because of all drinking. Not awful. We weren't terrible to us. We were very polite to them. But we had no concept of, um, I don't know, quietness? <laughs> None whatsoever. So our courtesy, shall we say, courtesy for your neighbours' evenings. Sort of like, but I'll give us credit, we did stop at 9.30pm every night. So they could at least get some fucking sleep. Eventually, the old couple on one side, they moved out without telling us. We were very disappointed at the fucking time. You know, They've gone. What? How dare they? You know, yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, shit happens. Um, the others on the other side, they never spoke to us again. Mind you, we didn't fucking like them. The fucking woman who lived there, she had a face like someone had been fucking sawing wood on it. Yeah, grim. Which was very grim. Anyway, yeah, next question. I think that's a good barometer for how good a band is if you make your neighbours move. Yeah, well, or you make the grass die, as Lemmy said, on your next door neighbour's fucking lawn. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not actually the proudest moment in my life, but it's, it's a funny... It was a funny thing at the time, and when I write it down, all these, these stupid things that happened to us, um, it just makes me smile and realise that we've actually had a good laugh doing it uh, a lot of the times. You made Blackthorn, Blackthorn even more badass to me now. That was a very Lovecraftian answer that it sort of came out of time. Yeah, it just did. It, it, it was just... It was just happening at time, and I actually I, I painted the walls of my attic room black. And Tom from Wild Heaven wept. We're like, I was sending him out and telling him, "You've got to buy me these Arkham House editions. I want these Arkham House editions rather than these shitty paperbacks. What I can get over there." <laughs> and that's actually as well when we were living there. That's when I first came into contact with Rob from Doom Planet Records and Angelo from Cold Morning, who's now in Sloughfeg. And uh, a few other guys, uh, a really good guy called Nigel Fellers, who passed away uh, some years ago. And he was big on the t- trading scene in late 80s and midnight, through till midnight. Nigel passed away. He, he used to trade books because you couldn't find uh, Broker Selma albums and you couldn't find most of Manila Road. Um, that were his passion, we were to get sort of like as much of that vinyl as we could. Obviously, Manila Road and Serafungal have both got released over here, but... They never really sold over here at the time, and you'd never find them in second-hand stores. So when you did find some, it was like a big riot around the record box where who's going to have it and who's got the money and someone's getting a black eye if they don't let them have it. And like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, always a big fight to just find anything like that. Same with Trouble stuff. Just always in, incredibly difficult, uh, sort of like early to mid-90s, to find sort of like... I mean, it still is now, I'm sure. And now most of it, albums... I bought the first two Manila Road albums in a local second-hand store for one pound each, which would probably be about a dollar fifty. Wow. Uh, that's just like fucking crazy. Now you probably pay what hundreds, hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, hundreds. Yeah, and I've still got mine. I just thought I don't care. I paid a pound for them, sort of like twenty-five, thirty years ago. I don't really give a fuck. You know what I mean? Right. And it's not like I actually bought them in the eighties because this is when we were discovering these bands. Um, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent again. The first bands that we kind of like really heard, in fact, the first two bands I can really think of were Revelation. 
uh, from Terminal Destiny demo and Dream Death mm-hmm. and Dream Death especially when the Journey into Mystery came uh, at that point I think we were all really big into sort of like underground death metal you know bands like Master Death and Repulsion and then yeah Dream Death up to another extreme Obviously, we're all into Sabbath and Auckland, uh, um, Priest and that. But then you hear bands playing like, instead of playing fast, but being playing as slow and heavy. Then Dream Death led us on to fucking trouble. And later, you know, sort of like Solitude Return. And, um, in fact, I remember fucking walking in unawares into a candle mask gig and thinking, fuck, what the fuck is going on here? You know what I mean? And I was just totally fucking blown away. Was that the fire era candle mask? Yeah, Messiah, I think it was uh, Ancient Dreams Tour as well. Oh, shit. And then I think probably about 1990, Vitus came over to Europe for the second time. And we actually formed at a Vitus gig, which is sort of like very, very cool, if you think about it. Because there were me and the guy who originally formed band with These guys are great. Yeah, let's form a band like this. And we're there watching St. Vitus and drinking beer. Um, the rest is history. Uh, I forget who else played with me, it don't matter at the time, but yeah, uh, probably Dream Death and Revelation were the first real sort of like doom metal bands we'd heard in. Um, and that's even before we'd started taking an interest, I mean, we'd heard Witchfind, but even sort of like more obscure bands, do you know what I mean? Um, right. It's just just one of those things, uh, like like Stillborn from Sweden, or Nagramancha Demo, uh, and other obscure European stuff, and there's still some great stuff to be discovered. Just, you know, you just got to dig for it, I guess. So, yeah. I forgot what fucking question was again. I, I did too. I don't know what the question was. <laughs> I had to, I got to thank you because I, before a few days ago, I had never heard of uh, Black Death by Broca's Home. I specifically listened to that album for this interview. <laughs> and tell me, what do you think? It's fucking great. I mean, that's why I said I have to thank you for leading me because I was looking at one of your interviews and you said that was uh, one of your formative albums, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, especially in terms of uh, at that point where we were wanting to go because we'd heard Black Death, I thought, mm, yeah, I like that idea. And also, oh, when you meet those guys, they're fucking amazing. Really, really funny as fuck. Really dry sense of humor. Really incredible musicians. And have you ever watched the uh, video, uh, Bob Wright, on YouTube? Not. Bob does um, uh, Big Bob's Marshall Warehouse, and it's the fucking funniest thing you've ever seen. And Bob just cracks me up, and he's like that in real life. And he just switches it on and off. Fucking great band. Absolutely incredible. I, I lost maybe a thousand pounds at the time. I brought him over to uh, England to play in London. And it's going to be one of those gigs in 10 years' time. I think it were probably about 2005, 2006. I put them on 15 years ago. <clears throat> In 10 years' time, people will be saying, yeah, I were at that gig, but there were fucking hardly any, anybody there, and I lost a £1,000 on bringing Brokers Elm over to England for the first time. So, But I did it, and I can't even remember if they've been back since. That's cool. They've, never played, in the, they've never played in the north of the Slough Feg, we, I brought over to England loads of We've toured you and a couple of times. Um, Twisted Tower Dyer as well. Over. But at that point, there were a lot more, it was a lot harder to communicate between bands and US. So we were doing it all on letters and then right. one phone call every couple of months between us because there were no, nobody had access to fucking it. Do you know what I mean? It was right. a lot more difficult. It was a lot more, more of a game of chance. Uh, but we made it and we did it. And I'm really proud of stuff that, that we did to push all, all three bands. Do you know what I mean? And link up together. You know, I think probably now if some kids are, what? 
Slavic solstice, twisted tower dyer, touring Europe all together in the yeah. back of a, of a fucking van while drinking beer and causing chaos. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there for every fucking show of that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, that, that atmosphere. And they were good shows. They were good shows. We had a really good time. What year was that? 1,000, 2002. It was 2000 when we first bought tattooing. Yeah, fucking hell, 20 years ago. Oh, Damn. And, and so I've known Mike 21 years. In fact, I spoke to Mike a few weeks ago by video. It's terrible because we're like two, you know, the two guys out of the Muppets. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the guys on the front well, of the ship. Yeah, so, yeah. no, the, the two guys who were like arguing in the box. Yeah, the two uh, older guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that between me and him fucking arguing, like talking <laughs> shit about each other. But that's just the way it goes. Anyway, yeah, sorry. And I have genuinely forgotten what the original question was. I was I was just thanking you for showing me that album. That's all that was. Afterward, yeah, we were on about Broke Cell, Black Death, but Into Battle's a good album as well. And the fucking third album. In fact, I don't think we've ever made a bad fucking recording. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just, just check them out. Um, if they ever play, if they ever get out and gig again, if anybody gets out and gigs it, I think you should just definitely, even if it's a, like a 10 hour drive, just go see them and just I'll go be talk there. to them because they're really, really fucking fantastic people and they appreciate all, all the support they get. I think a lot of, a lot of bands do ever. Right. Um, I could go off on another tangent. If we ever get out to gig again. Well, you know, I've been thinking more and more about this. Uh, and I think back to early 80s when we wanted to organise gigs, we'd play in places like church and squat, or we'd just break into places and squat it and fucking organise gigs or in bands or anything like that. And I kind of think that it's the duty of every fucking body who's playing in a band to organise their own fucking and fuck this uh, social distance shite and get off and do sort of make heavy metal dangerous. Get out, organise underground gigs where the authorities don't know. And if the police come, Break fucking beer bottles and get into big fights with police. Make it fucking dangerous and not sat around complaining, oh, I'm going to die. Fucking, do you know what I mean? Oh, some fucking bullshit like that. Um, Who wouldn't want to die at a fucking metal show? Yeah. Who oh, metal shows? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to see Broke a Selm, but will there be a safe space tonight? And, <laughs> and can I have my nails manicured and some shit like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People should be doing this. There should be. There's kids over in England now that are organising illegal raves where a thousand of them are turning up and the police are trying to get in and just fucking destroying the police and the police. It's like a fucking riot every fucking weekend. And this is what needs to be happening with metal shit and punk shows and anything else. If you're fucking worth your salt, get off your ass and fucking do it. And I know people over here are getting ready to do it and organise fucking underground shows again away from the authorities. And if the authorities come, the kids will fucking riot. And fuck these idiots, you know what I mean? If you want to sit in your house for the rest of your life, fucking being afraid of something that you can't see, that's your fucking... But, you know, I think when all this shit started, uh, I was being followed by police a lot because they say it's lockdown, there's a curfew. Fuck this. I'm not fucking stopping in. I'm going to the fucking garage to buy to buy some beer or some or whatever, some cider. <laughs> and police they just fucking following me around in the car, and I'm just, I don't give a fuck. Stop me if you want. You know, I'm 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 a fucking I'm a citizen in a democracy. What are you gonna do? Arrest me for fucking driving to buy something to eat or something to drink? Fuck you. It's just bollocks. Um, whether you believe in it or not, right. I don't know. You know. Personally, I'll stick my neck out and say I think it's a mutated flu virus and it's been overplayed by the media and governments. That's just my opinion. As most know? things are. 
yeah and i think if people want to believe in it and they, they want to be scared by it that's fine i'm not going to cast any dispersion on your fucking manlyhood for doing that but just sort of like if you think you're fucking different and you're an outsider you think you you like heavy metal or you like punk rock and you think you want to you don't want to be part of mainstream society then get off your fucking ass organize some gigs and just walk through fucking towns and cities in groups of more than fucking 10 and, and when a figure of authority fucking comes give them fucking finger or two fingers as we fucking do you know what i mean tell them to get fucked do you know what i mean and you'll you'll actually see this i was speaking to a friend of mine from bristol uh they've set up in uk these new things called covid so basically they get some fucking goon they've put them through like a couple of days training put a, a high visibility vest on them which says covid marshal on the back and to me they might as well just a fucking target on fucking because you can see them coming a mile off but they have a specific demograph of people who will harass, which will be old white people or young people who look different because they think they're... And in Bristol in particular, there's a large bunch of fucking black kids have got some balls and they'll turn around and fuck up to similar... Uh, right. You remember a time in 80s where if a figure of the authority were telling you what to do, you'd tell them to fuck off and you'd tell them where to fuck. Even if you got arrested or fined or you got a night in cell... Because that were part and parcel of being who you were. You were different. You're an outsider. Do you know what I mean? You're right. not part of mainstream society. Um, that's what I'm trying to put across. If if you're complaining about lack of gigs, get one fucking organised. Invite 20 of your friends. Get them to invite fucking 10 of each of theirs. Get 50 of in a row. Some of you, one of you might get a cold. You might go to hospital and they might give you a test and say, yes, it could be COVID. And then, hmm, here, have a drug which we've just bought from Jeff Bezos or fucking Bill Gates or something like that. You know, but anyway, it's got to a point over here. If you disagree with it, you get into the point of being classed as like some sort of fucking equivalent to a Holocaust denier or something like that. And to be honest, I don't give a fuck. I'll just carry on regardless. Do what I do. Go where I go. Say what I fucking think. And if you don't like it, fuck off. Simple. Have your own opinion. It's as simple as that. Unless someone can present me with some better and more interesting or entertaining fact, what it could be or where it's come from, um, I'm just going to carry on and, and I don't really give a fuck the thing that annoys me is having to queue up to buy fucking things you want to eat or you know you're going into a store and some fucking idiot with Covid mouth written on the back is coming at you with a bottle of fucking disinfectant bleach, wash your hands <laughs> no, fuck off I washed them this morning and here's something that a lot of people should fucking realise that overwashing your hands and that. you're killing the bacteria that you need to survive that lives in your gut and lives on your skin and you're making yourself more prone to infection um then anybody who, who's some sort of fucking uh biologist will fucking tell you that you can go look it up yourselves and then if anybody who's got more than two fucking brain cells to rub together understood how fucking water vapor moves through air Water vapour, it moves in a straight line and then it stops at two metres and drops to the fucking floor. And you see all of these fucking goons with masks on. And I were walking around this summer and there's like people like hermetically fucking sealed into cars with masks and fucking gloves and goggles on and the fucking, <laughs> and it's 90 degrees and you're thinking, you stupid bastard, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Honest to God, it's fucking frightening the level of gullibility and... Uh, people just go or just the extremes and obviously obviously when you see people with masks on so if you're going to get infected 
what I'm trying to say is you're going to get it through your fucking eyes. You're not going to breathe it in or suck it in like some sort of, I don't know, thing that sucks things, shall we say. Vacuum. Yeah, a vacuum or, or a, a, I don't know, a, an anteater or there you something go. like that. Is it an advert? Um, water vapor is going to get in through your eyes and it doesn't move in straight lines and it's not just going to fucking stop at two metres and suddenly drop to the fucking floor. It, the virus, the virus doesn't become suddenly more active after 10 o'clock at night when we're all told to go indoors. It's 10 o'clock. Run. The virus is coming. That's just, that's just fucking beyond stupid, really. And people are fucking falling for it. What the fuck is wrong with them? Do you know what I mean? A lot. Uh, There's a lot of misinformation and people... People are lazy. They don't want to sift through actual information. They don't want to do the research. They want people to tell them what to think. Yeah, and this is true, but people have always thought that. But one of the, the great marvels of the modern age should be the internet, and yet people fill it up with pictures of cats, plates of pasta, whatever. Uh, oh, dear, this, that, and the other. I've just fucking broken a fingernail. I want 100 likes, sympathetic likes, I post. Here's a picture of me stood by Niagara Falls with a fucking nine-inch black bamba dildo stuck out my <laughs> anal cavity. Fucking, do you know what I mean? Sorry, am I yeah. allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah. You, you can say whatever the hell you want here. Oh, fucking jolly good. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, I think it, in a way, I think it's kind of... I won't say emasculated the heavy metal scene or punk scene because that would be doing a disservice to all the women up there. But I think it, it's... Uh, Watered down? Mu- it's muzzled us, shall right. we say. Um, it's muzzled us in a way because I see a lot of people who are genuinely scared. I don't think they've got anything to be scared about from a new, mutated flu. Virus. A lot of people who, who have died from COVID have had underlying conditions as well. And if anybody checked the winter flu death figures... For, it were 1919 there were three four possibly i just think i just think it's um, right. each to their own if you want to believe it and you want to stay indoors go for it you know what i mean don't uh, force me to stay indoors if you want to stay indoors yeah that's the thing and all these rules they just become silly and pointless and all these this new bullshit uh, and i think especially in the u.s where there's, there's enough tension already oh, yeah. election and everything else that's fucking got, you just got a, a, a boiling pot that's going to fucking explode at any time but you're getting that in a lot of countries over here in europe as well germany and in particular um, i also see the gradual erosion of fucking real democracy where you vote count and and then i think who's making money out of this well jeff bezos is making a fuck of a lot of money out of it uh, pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money out of it, telecommunications companies. Yep. And one of the marvellous things uh, about small-time capitalism, it allows for diversity and small businesses to flourish and people to make a living. Yet all these people are being put in out of business. Everybody's going, well, we can get on the internet and buy from Jeff. Mm, good old Jeff. He's given us something he's imported and we don't know what's in it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you, you're losing your, your chance to look at the ingredient list before you fucking buy it or anything else or, or choice more than anything. Although they might say we've got all this choice and on. Eventually there'll be um, very, very little choice. And also I think frightening, which I'm going off is the uh, gradual Im- implementation of something very similar to the Chinese social credit system where people are saying, yeah, we want to give you this injection of this thing. You're going to need at least three or four of them. And then at some point, they're going to turn around and say, well, if you've not had that inject, inje- you can't really get on. You can't go into this, mm-hmm. you can't use these services and that, which is your fucking democratic right. If you're a vote and you register to vote and you pay your fucking taxes, that's your right. Not if you've had some, some injections into you. So think of it in, in that aspect. 
Now, some people might listen to what I'm saying and say, my God, he's a conspiracy theorist. Well, that's true, because I don't believe the moon landings happened. So, and I think it was... Rich, if they're listening to this, I can guarantee you they're conspiracy theorists. (laughs) No, I I do believe the moon landings did happen. And I was very, very pleased by that. That I can't remember, we were fucking... um, Was it Buzz Aldrin who punched that guy? Was it fucking Neil Armstrong? I can't fucking remember. A couple of years ago, the the guy came up and said, the moon landings never happened. That was Buzz. Yeah, and he gave him a right fucking dig on chin. Fucking great, man. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. That's a spirit buzz. Well done. Um, <clears throat> I'd be fucking disappointed if they didn't fucking happen. I'd be very disappointed. Anyway, right. Anyway, uh, enough of my inane ramblings. Please carry on. All right. So at some point in the 90s, you started you uh, on your bio. It says a faux band called Solomon Kane based off the Robert E. Howard character. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was just like I'd started writing stuff. That thought, yeah, I really, I were very, very, um, I were a big fan, uh, uh, probably first album, Pentagram, um, probably Iron Man and Force and bands like that. And I thought, can I do something a little bit more Sabbath, if I laugh, and a bit more violence. And I had a friend staying here uh, from Greece, uh, my friend John from Minotaur um, Sonic Terrors. He makes custom effects pedals. Um, we were all heavily into like all these bands and said, let's do it. Let's just get drunk and record it in your fucking room one night. Uh, um, we just did it. We just made a song up on the spot and recorded it on his computer. And we were fucking drinking heavily. And then Pat from Warning were there as well. He said, I'll do vocals. <laughs> so Pat sang the vocals. I played guitars. We programmed some fucking drums in. And fucking hell. And thought, no, if we play a solo on it, it'll sound too good. And John, who couldn't actually play guitar very well, we made John play the, the fucking solo while we were using a wah pedal with his fucking hands to make it sound really bad. And then we started trading it out. And we actually did, actually, we did a couple of those songs before at a rehearsal for the laugh. But anyway, the demo recording that's on fucking YouTube, and we sent it out. And the next thing I fucking know, uh, the guy from Shadow Kingdom says, I'm going to want to sign you. I think you're fucking amazing. So, and we got a feature in fucking Terrorizer and it's the picture, the feature, it's myself and Greek John in a fucking, in a graveyard in fucking middle of Huddersfield. Um, and it's super, super fucking funny the, the way we carried on with it. I mean, it was a, we were going to actually going to do it serious. And then we thought about it and thought, nah, I think it were enough that we got signed off the strength of one really badly recorded song that were funny. Not funny. In fact, I remember myself and Pat sat and wrote the lyrics for the two songs we were going to record, which was The Dread and The Devil Child of Markham Gorge. We sat and wrote them at my kitchen table one Sunday morning after we'd been drinking heavily. We've got to do great. Uh, But we did get around to it. And the fact that we got signed off this fucking one song, and I think for about two or three years after, the guy from Shadow Kingdom were emailing you. Have you seen, have you, have you heard anything of the guy from Solomon Kane? Yeah, he's in prison again. Um, they've, re- they've retired. They're living in a, in, a, in a secluded cottage on the North Yorkshire Moors, fucking in the middle of nowhere. And the guy swallowed it, hook, line and fucking sinker. And we kept it going for fucking years. It's, it's like one of my, um, I hate to say it, but I've got this fucking, I love playing pranks on fucking just ridiculous shit. Obviously, myself and Leonard were talking about about this earlier that people have this huge preconception about me that I'm going to be like really miserable bastard. And then people in Europe, because I uh, do have a uh, slight leaning towards getting into uh, fistfights on a number of occasions, or I've gone and someone who's pissed me just walk up to him and punch him really hard on fucking nose. 
Um, so I've got a reputation of being miserable and I've got a reputation of fucking fighting and drinking. But when you get to know me, I'm just sort of like I am uh, the complete fucking... I don't know how. It's just that it takes time for people to get to know me. Um, I could tell you, I'll tell you in a minute, a great joke we played on fucking nudie from fucking uh, Middle of the Road. I've just told Leonard about this. Fucking, <laughs> so I say we, I did it. And I hope nudie doesn't fucking uh, listen to this because he'll fucking, he'll cut me balls off. And he's a really fucking great guy and a great It's like when people get to know me, I'm the total opposite. And I'll just, I can't stop fucking talking. And I'll just talk about any old shit. And my mind goes from one subject matter to another. But when I'm on my own, it's different because I've got no one to talk to. So I sort of like going into myself and just like going to a different side of my personality. But I just do talk about the fucking crap a lot of the time. If I've got an audience, I like playing the joke. And the terrible thing is, there's two of us, myself and Andy, the other guitarist, are both like that. It's, it's like uh, trying to beat each other to see who can put most outrageous fucking pranks on bands we're playing fucking on the same bill way or just like to be the most centre of attention asking about like small boys you know but it's it's all good anyway the joke what we did on New we were playing with Manila Road in Sweden and he'd left his fucking his running shoes in <coughs> what he drums in it's not here and I looked on the table with the rider and there were some rather delicious looking cheese slices so I took the insoles out and filled the bottom of his shoes with cheese slices and put the insoles back in so the poor bastard when he went on stage and he was drumming the cheese were melted and running between his fucking toes and he stank a fucking I think he's always wondered who did that and it was me so I'm quite proud of that one novel unique not as bad as some of the stuff Andy's done, which included the special um, the special pan of chilli we cooked in Norway for um, In Solitude, where we filled it with absolutely everything, including water from the lavatory, uh, a whole cucumber with plastic on, a full tub of chilli powder, and they kept coming back for it. <laughs> and they like, were fucking great. They're fucking loving it. What the fuck's wrong with them? Ah, cooking's not that good. But, yeah, we've done some, we've done some fucking... We're pretty well known, I suppose, in some circles, being a bit fucked up amongst the women. Right, yeah. Sorry, carry on. That's a secret ingredient for mm. chili. Yeah, a whole cucumber with the fucking plastic left on. Um, what was the original question again? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, I was going to ask you your favorite Solomon Kane stories personal. Uh, right under Doom. Oh, uh, that's a good one. You, yeah, um, fuck me. You've put me on the spot here. <laughs> so Robert E. Howard, my absolute favourite, would have been Solomon Kane. And then I was actually thinking about this this morning. Um, Conan were great, but I would say Cormac McCart and Solomon Kane would rule for me. And I've still got a lot of uh, All my books are in storage. They have been for a couple of years. Um, there were just something about his writing style. Again, I'll talk about the writing style. Robert E. Howard's writing style were very energetic shall i say and it made my heart race as a fucking teenager when i first picked up uh, i think it might be matches of Valhalla, uh, an old paperback and i read it and i thought this is fucking incredible and then I, again a lot of this stuff it were printed in england in 70 and to actually find it was very difficult uh, during the 80s and early 90s because a lot of people would throw the stuff in the trash and you'd never see it again it go to like uh, trash dump so you'd be trawling through second house looking for the now again these are like very very sought after and very very expensive even for old paperbacks from 70s any especially robert e howard and clark ashton smith you you'd be paying sort of like anywhere be, between uh i don't know eight and twenty pounds and i recently found uh, a set of fucking five seabury quinn 
paperbacks and I paid about £15 each for because, I mean, they're, they're fucking great. But there's actually there's some small book companies over here and I've forgotten the name again. Sorry, um, my dementia's setting once again. Probably a lack of magnesium in my diet. Um, what's the name of the book company? I think the company that might have did the mail order might have been Cold Tonnage. And there's a small book company that, that prints uh, um, a lot of reprints of stuff like this in England. There was a couple of them and it's worth, uh, there were... So what were the guys who were from, were they from San Francisco who took over from the English guys? They did the hardcover of Solomon Kane. And I mean, you know, you know, you know that. Um, I could fucking Google it now. <laughs> uh, but it made me feel foolish. But there are these lovely volumes that came out in slipcases and they started putting them out about 18 years ago. They did Solomon Kane. They did three volumes. Oh, Centipede Press. Say that again. Was it Centipede Press? They they did the book called The Ultimate Triumph, which had like the best of Robert E. Howard's heroic fucking. Yeah, picture. they would do it in these fantastic little slip case. I mean, the books yeah. like if you don't buy them like the second they come out, they you have to. Yeah, I got the very first edition of the Solomon Kane, and I got all the Conan ones, and I got the Ultimate Triumph. I fucking miss the Bram McMahon one, and after that, I just sort of like. I kind of run out of space for buying books and I'd also, I would I'd go with something else at the time instead of buying books. And I can't remember what it was, probably drinking cider or very strong pills. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it came down to, I'd run out of space and also the books were getting, as you say, selling out and they were becoming more and more ridiculously expensive. And I think, can I justify spending hundred pounds on a book? And I thought about it, I thought, yeah. I can because it's something I'm going to cherish and it's something I'm going to go back to every few years and read it again. And You know, you mentioned... Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, sorry, you'll carry on. Now, there's a, a book that just came out, I think it was about two or three years ago, called Paperbacks from Hell. And it's this book talking about this huge, uh, this new like resurgence of paperbacks, like the old hard paperbacks and all yeah. the old fantasy stuff. And um, a lot of people don't realize, you know, their grandmothers and, and aunts and uncles have stack of this stuff sitting behind there. And a lot of the stuff, you know, people, people want, want to read it again because it's, yeah, that, a lot of the stuff is not accessible anymore. Like you said, with the uh, books from the seventies. That's absolutely true. I remember looking on my grandparents uh, bookshelf when I was probably about seven or eight years old. Um, all I could see well, like row after row of Dennis Wheatley occult novels that my grandfather would be reading. Oh, I love yeah. Dennis Wheatley. The devil. Yeah, uh, fucking really, really. And I've got a friend who collects Dennis Wheatley as well. And I'm thinking, hmm. And when, when you do see uh, a lot of this stuff in bookstores, you realise it were, were published in late 60s, early 70s. There's one more reason why I love these old paperbacks. It's the design of the jackets, the colours, the fonts, the artwork, everything. It's fucking perfect. And the just, of course, as well, again, and this is a, another thing that I'm going to go off on a slight tangent. It's the printing process as well, because it would have been offset and litho printed, as opposed to digital printing. And a lot of that process uses uh, halftones or colour halftones for printing. And when you look really close, they're getting really, you look really close and you can see it's all made up of tiny dots. It's great. And you look at it. The quality is slightly fuzzy, but it's actually better. And the colour... Um, and I just think, not that everything were better, but in terms of 
the writing, let's say if it's, if it's a modern sort of like, like shorts, I think the packaging, it looked better. It's more appealing to my eyes. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, yeah. you've got to remember, I'm sort of like, I'm thinking I'm growing up uh, watching Amarora film, oh, 30s, Night of the Demon, um, mm-hmm. uh, Shitline Universal, and I'm reading uh, Dracula Lives and everything else that goes in with that. And so that's going to capture your imagination. And it's not so much nostalgia. And I'm looking at it from a printing point. Or put it in this weirder, put it in a context sort of like cassette and vinyl versus CD. It's almost like the visual analogue, do you know what I mean, in terms of printing. And I'm really passionate about about this, the, you know, screen printing above fucking um, anything else, because like, we all our T-shirts are hand screen print. Uh, they're not made by guys who are screen printing in a factory. They're made by guys who still screen print by hand. We've got a guy... In California, Adam from Nightgone does our merch USA. He hand screen prints every fucking order, even if he's not got it on screen. He'll go and specifically make that screen for that one shirt and hand screen print. And you see the difference in quality between our merchandise and the mass produced <laughs> stuff. And our our stuff is like half the price as well. And we're using like six colours as opposed to like these two or three colours, what these mainstream bands are fucking using. And again, it's like that difference. It's more organic when you look at the, the, the packaging and everything. And I just think that whole style from 60s and 70s, sort of like horror and sci-fi, the packaging and, and everything, it just appeals to me more. And I think, just trying to think of something from 80s, uh, sort of like packaging wise from, from uh, an album cover or, or book covers or something like that, that nothing really grabs me in the same way as the sort of like late 60s and early 70s. It was, obviously, it was going to be great album covers from Broke Sound, Black Death. There you go. That's a classic album cover, almost pusshead in style. Um, it's just one of those things. It's like a printing thing, and because I I'm, uh, do some design work myself, I get really, really passionate about it, and, and wish more people had used that style or use that form of printing. Um, one of the things that the, I think the guy from DMR Books he did a great job, uh, but for me, I would have done it on the old style paper. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the more pulp paper. Uh, yeah, it goes yellow. But the modern digital printing, it's just it feels a little bit soulless to me. I haven't seen any of the uh, newer books he's put out. But anyway, good luck to the guy. He's doing a good job. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's right, yeah. fine. As well. Yeah, fucking good luck to him. I'm glad someone's getting off their ass and actually fucking doing something, just talking about shit. But that could go back to that question, have I ever considered writing fiction? Well, our James, our old drummer, did contribute to one of those volumes. And I did have an idea and I did want to pursue it. Uh, and I discussed it with James. I said I have this concept of a sort of like a, a weird sort of like horror sci-fi set in a strange, deserted, fog-bound English. Um, I won't go into any more details because eventually I might do it. You never know. Oh, and I had, thought, I had actually thought about it. Um, and one day I might do it. I don't know. I've I started writing uh, again. I've, uh, I say writing lyrics, but I've also got other stuff because I published my first book, which were a, a, a sort of like a biography to go with a, a release on FOAD records, like a biography of my uh, favourite band when I was a teenager. And I did that. I did, it, did all, it took me nine months to write this fucking book. I designed all the packaging for a triple album, did all the fucking layout, absolutely fucking everything. And it was one of my proudest moments. And then I thought, I actually, I know, well, I'm in Germany. Now we're talking with my friend Herman. And we were talking about going into publishing strangely enough last week because we were thinking about what we we're going to do to start another business to make more money um more money to survive with and we were talking about publishing 
Um, so I started researching stuff. And so one of the things I've started writing down in my list of ideas is more of a, a concise English and Anglo-Saxon dictionary. Now, there are several still available on the market, but the way they're put together, they're not put together. Everything's listed uh, alphabetically in Anglo-Saxon. Mm. And also, there's not really much to go on for in terms of how you're going to pronounce it. It doesn't really explain how to speak it phonetically. There was a guide that came out maybe 15 years ago. Um, it's very expensive now to get hold of. So obviously, if you've ever looked into the language, uh, it's the link between English and German, between modern English and modern German. And the nearest thing you can find to Anglo-Saxon still is like a dialect spoke here in the north of Germany called the Germans called Flat German, which is actually pretty close to some dialects in Holland as well. Um, but if you start reading Anglo-Saxon, which I have been doing for the past year, and it's difficult at first, but it's just absolutely wonderful. And if you've got any love of language, uh, and I thought, should I learn German? And I can read German reasonably well. Should I learn to speak it? I thought, no, it's not really a challenge because I'm just hanging around with you all fucking time, day in, day out, strictly enough, being in Germany and working with Germans. So I thought, well, fuck it, I'm going to learn Anglo-Saxon. So before I embarrass myself, don't ask me to speak anything yet because I've not become fluent in my pronunciation because of the rolling R's, which are used in a lot of the words. Uh, which is actually closer to, I've just been listening with Lenny, it's actually a lot closer to North German and Dutch than you'd actually think, and the way they pronounce their languages. And some of it's dropped out of the English phonetically and the modern English. So it's a challenge, and it's something that I want to do, and we're talking about doing a, 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 an Anglo-Saxon dictionary for an English reader, rather than going for everything in Anglo-Saxon. So that means that. So then you want, you want it in, in a word, so, so you're going to start with ah. Apple and anus or whatever, ass or fucking ass wife. Okay. <laughs> Strangely enough, um, I could, I'll give you another really strange story. Of course, I found when I, I was working at a university in Leeds and I had access into their library and I found an Anglo Saxon dictionary in there. And that's what originally sparked my interest. Of course, I'm looking through it. Oh, great. Ass. Of course, I thought we find the original word for ass, which in America you say ass, in England we say ass, in Anglo-Saxon it's ass, <laughs> and the spelling of it. And I just thought, this is fucking great. I'm going to find all the, the profanities in Anglo-Saxon, being the, the juvenile mindset at the fucking time. So that's actually what sparked me interest in it. It's terrible. I should be saying something more philosophical and deeper meaning. But, you know, <laughs> I'm just destroying my own image here. But no, I'm genuinely passionate about uh, myself and Herman. We're going to start uh, publishing and on a variety of topics from probably, you know, Anglo-Saxon stuff, uh, weapons of World War Two, things like that. Things that interest us. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be necessarily all esoteric or historical in nature, fiction couldn't play a part in it, but it's something that we're going to do and something else I'd like to have a go at. And I think, um, again, I'll bring, I'll, I'll, I'll link that to the thing where we were talking about, we're saying, if you want to do something, get out, fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? If you want to have gigs, right. get off your ass, fucking do it. Um, if you want to have a go at something, just do it. And if people knock you for doing it, I think they're probably bitter and twisted and jealous or they're afraid of having a go of themselves. It's as simple as that. Uh, I'll sort of like say again, I'll put another link in or go widely to another fucking subject. I've never had a guitar lesson in my entire life. I've, I don't, I think I know fucking three chords and, and that's it. And everything I do, I have to learn by ear and I experiment where I can put my fingers on fretboard and, and try and learn by ear 
uh, when we first started, when me and Leonard were playing the guitars, I was just blown away by him, absolutely blown away by by his talent. And and I can think of like uh, Andy, the other guitarist, he blows me away every time. And he's learned in the style he learned from Tony Iommi instruction was, but I've never had a fucking single, and he had a guitar to it, I've never had a single lesson, a single lesson. Uh, I think Tom from Wild Love and Wept talked to me at great length in the 90s about composition and things like that. But I find it a lot easier to do it hands-on and I find it a lot easier to like experiment myself and learn by my own own mistakes. It's like driving a car. First time you get, get into a car, you, you can't drive it. You can't get onto the fucking motorway and, and do 100 down motorway while drinking beer and singing along to Born to be Wild by Stephen Wolf or something. You know, you can't, <laughs> just can't do it. You've got to have a go. You've got to practice it. And it's like anything else. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not a terribly proud man. I'll admit all these fucking terrible fucking failings of myself that I'm a complete fucking amateur at everything and I just like having the good stuff so writing writing lyrics writing music and it still it enables me to remain humble and true to who I am which is like yeah me do you know what I mean yes, I'm sure if you talk I mean you look you look at someone like Bob from Broker Sound Play and Bob's a fucking complete shredder do you know what I mean you'll see I remember reading fanzines and saying like they were like uh, guitar battles, Bay Area, mid eight, Gary Holt from so and so from King Legacy, and Kirk Hammett, and they mentioned and Bob Wright from Broker Selm, and Bob Wright blew them all away because Bob was the best guitarist, and it'd be <laughs> fucking true. And if you watch him fucking play, he's fucking incredible, you know. And but all three of them, uh, uh, and fucking yeah, just believe me, one of the most amazing US metal bands. And I've gone off on a fucking tangent again. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm talking about like complete wild. Bullshit, fucking probably or oh, bollocks. I'm sorry. I apologize. Don't apologize. Is uh, are there is there any of that Solomon Kane floating around out there? The music. There's two rehearsal tracks. Uh, I when I get back to England for a few days, I'll send you them by the medium semaphore. Awesome! I can't wait to listen to them. Think about Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Uh, not by semaphore. I'll send it by email because um, you can't actually listen to semaphore. It's a visual <laughs> thing. So. Um, I will send them, yeah, they're recorded sometime in mid-90s and the two instrumental tracks that we just jammed down in rehearsal room at the legendary Garden Street where the old people were. And yeah, I've kind of like thought about it, but then I'm really, really, really into what I'm doing with Solstice. Uh, there's no secret that we will be doing another reason tour EP. That is definitely happening. Um, just kind of finalising a fucking lineup. Um the only other thing that I'm possibly doing musically, I may do something completely off the wall. I don't know what that might be or what it might be, but it won't be techno. I guarantee you that. Um, I don't know. I, I actually, I actually joined Tau Cross for three months at the beginning of the year, and then I kind of like when the way my life were going. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Tau Cross. And uh, again, people talk a lot of shit about Rob. But I think Rob's a good man, and he speaks his mind, and, and uh, I think, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? I've known Rob since the 80s. I used to go to Amoebix shows. I played shows with Amoebix in the 80s. And I got offered that opportunity, and I thought, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I like Talk. And uh, and I think Rob's a fine man, and I think he speaks his mind. Uh, people who want to send him anonymous death threats or whatever, or say Rob's this, Rob's that, and the other, have obviously clearly never met Rob or talked to Rob or given any sort of like 
valid and coherent argument. There's a lot of shit fucking flung from both sides, uh, whatever argument. And I think people just jumped down the throat. I think a lot of people who jumped down Rob's throat were older me because I think they missed a lot of point of no gods. Rob himself would say that. Uh, I've obviously, uh, my choice to like bow out before even recording anything with do my own personal circumstance. If they hadn't changed, I would have continued. But, you know, I don't care. I'd say if someone said to me, what do you think of Tau Cross? I think, yeah, Rob's great. And I think he's a good man. And fuck everybody else who wants to sort of like fling mud from behind a computer screen. Go talk to him yourself. And if you really take umbrage with his opinions, get in your car, drive up to Sky, bang on his door and watch him give you the finger or both of them. Do you know what I mean? And just... Talk the fucking legs off you. Super intelligent guy. Super nice. Fuck it. It's again, it's like this all. I won't say the internet culture because, again, I think the internet is a tool for good if used correctly and used for what it's for information. But there's that much misinformation and people get on and post the pictures of the cats and the place of pats, uh, a place, place of pasta and the double uh, gastric bypass operation fucking cards or whatever. You know, there's loads of bullshit. Um, and I think that's probably all I'm going to ask. So, <laughs> I forgot the point of the question yeah. again. Oh, damn. I'm clearly fucking senile. So I'm going to pick your brain while I got you. We had uh, Jason Tarpy from Eternal Champion on the other day. Yeah. He, uh, we got on the subject of the Lovecraftian circle of writers. And I just wanted to ask you, myself personally, nothing against Lovecraft. I love Lovecraft as much as the next guy, but my personal favorite quote-unquote Cthulhu mythos stories, are these from the other writers like Robert Howard, like Dig Me No Grave, Worms of the Earth? Uh, well, you know, it's funny you should say that. I think one of the more interesting paperbacks I've got is by August Derleth. Mm. And um, his stories weren't too bad either. But are they... I mean, Clark Ashton Smith, a different use of language again. Very, very flowery. Very, very flowery. Mm. Whereas Lovecraft, very cold and clinical. Uh, Frank Belknap Long, hard to say. Um, Robert E. Howard. Robert Block was one of my favourites as well, too. Robert Block, yeah. And everybody had their own take on it. I, I actually tried reading some of the more modern still being published. And then I realised, for me, that I actually like the writers from that period better. I like them better. Um, it kind of goes, I could link that in with the thing. I like the 70s and 80s. If you're going to do it, do something new with it not sort of like rehash the same old ideas um or just try and put your own spin on it or put it in a different context do you know what i mean right. um and oh, it's sort of like could you say can you think of a love lovecraft fucking film adaptation you've enjoyed i was going to ask you that that's one of my next questions um uh, oh, one, of my, one of my biggest gripes about lovecrafting adaptions i'm not saying there's not any that i don't like i need a period piece i need this in the 19th century i don't want to see color out of space 2020 i want to see yeah uh, it was interesting but all you can think of is fucking nicholas cage in con air yeah. uh, <laughs> nicholas you've got a face like a fucking slapped ass what's wrong with you fucking <laughs> hell. um it weren't too bad what was that fucking film that came out fucking hell and I thought it, it was the cross between Lovecraft. Oh, it was The Void? The Void, yes, that's yeah, it. Honestly, that was one of the best films I've seen in fucking years. And I just thought, damn, that is good. 
and especially at the scene of the car park where you've got all the guys in the white foot robes with the fucking knives and that and it's pure fucking John Carpenter. Pure uh, John. I mean that's straight that that seems like it belongs straight in a, a Halloween film in that in that scene for that first time. But uh oh, in the between Halloween and fucking assault on precinct thirteen. Oh yeah. And the practical yeah. effects towards the end were great too. Yeah, very, very good. But it also there's another is it have you seen The Visitor? I haven't. Uh is it the visitor? Um, and this is another film done in, in a, a carpenter fucking style. And it's fucking insane. Really, really insane. Ultra fucking violent. I could Google it and make sure I've got the fucking title right. And my son actually introduced me to that. I said, Dad, watch this. It's fucking amazing. Without the fucking, of course, because he wasn't over 18 at the time and I wasn't allowing him. So he had to wait uh, until he was over 18 before I'd let him use fuck in abundance of course um that, i think it's uh best lovecraft adaptation well there was what was the one we uh jeffrey coombs in uh, no he did another one as well castle free uh, no Not, the beyond that's definitely the beyond probably the, and three from beyond. Uh, or from beyond yeah, i should yeah, say no no it, yeah he were in from beyond as well wasn't he Jeffrey Coombs has been in everything. Reanimator from beyond Star Trek. Fuck me. Is there anything that Jeffrey Coombs hasn't been in? No. No. There's very little known fucking... Um, you have to look through a fucking list there. A Lovecraft film adaptation. Are you talking about the unnameable by chance? <laughs> no, because yeah. there's three different fucking versions of the same story. And I do genuinely apologise because um, I, my fucking memory is terrible at the minute. And I've watched all these fucking films and I've got them all still on DVD in storage. And I'm fucking, it's like trying to remember my own name. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he did uh, the Necronomicon, I think. Wasn't that a, like a British, um, anthology? oh, it was like an anthology series. He plays uh, Lovecraft, I think, in that too. Hang on, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to quickly Google it and I'll tell you it. But in the meantime, think of a quick lamentation here, a question. And let Leonard answer you for two minutes while I just Google this and eat a piece of salmon, which has been going cold on the fucking side. Gotcha. Let him tell you something interesting about the early generation. We'll fix it in post. ruined my brain a bit, so. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Henry. Go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was curious, um, and I'm, and I'm going to step away from the music for a second. Who, uh, how did you guys uh, come up with the uh, artwork for the for the demos in the first two albums? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, um, the album. Yeah, my, my then girlfriend. Uh, she made a drawing for the Lamentations cover and also for the '92 demo. Right. Wow. Yeah, she drew that too. The weird alien type woman thingy. She drew that too. So she made a couple of really nice drawings for us. She certainly was talented. So, yes, she was. She was a very good artist, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Viking ship, the trees, and the strange goblin-like yeah. creatures. The goblin behind the tree. <laughs> yeah. But she was a very good artist. So we were very happy with that. You should be as uh, both uh, lamentations is a genre cornerstone, but you guys probably hear that all the time. It's, well, I, was... I not so much because uh, well, I've, I've been out of it for a while. Mm -hmm. like, uh, like I said, I've been friends with Rich for over thirty years now. We've we've always been in touch, but we haven't seen each other that much in the last ten years, I think. No. But... Yeah, yeah. I came to see uh, when Solstice played in Belgium in Brussels. I drove. I, I live in the Netherlands now, 
So it was like a three, four hour drive for me to drive down there and go and see them. And that was the first time I'd seen them since, I don't know, when we're around the one in 12, was like 15 years ago or something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep chatting away, keep I'll keep chatting away. away. Uh, and so, I'll nail them with stories of my, uh, I don't know, chocolate milk drinking, chocolate milk drinking and uh, yeah, yeah, being generally irritated. Are there, uh, are there any of the songs from the earlier demos that you, or any material that was unreleased that you guys have always wanted to go back to, to, to uh, revisit? Uh, or is it, is it just, it's in the past and that's it? I think yeah. one song, but do you remember, I think I've got a rehearsal for this very early re shit. Um, <laughs> in fact, the shittiest shade of shit you've ever heard. <laughs> if we could go back to one song, we had one. It became, it ended up mutating with only one part left in, into being Your Haunted Eyes. Right, yeah. And I can't remember, and there were a rehearsal, it were traded out as a rehearsal, but it had some very, very interesting, very epic parts, and a, a very rare, and again, from 1993, we had a song called Hope Beyond Despair, um, and we used to play it live and we never recorded it and it were actually a, a pretty good fucking song um what did bloodfield which we wrote straight after new dark age the, the all we have is a rehearsal version and a couple of live videos of it that never got recorded and a lot of people love that song um there's and particularly i love the ending of it i think i probably might just revisit that but just take that in out it was very very epic yeah, there's bits and bobs that we never actually got round to recording. But there always is because I write stuff, I record it, I archive it, and then I forget about it. I mean, I forget who I am, I forget why I'm here, I forget what I'm doing next. And then I wake up. You're taking your medication? No, not yet. <laughs> um, so it, it's just one of those things. Uh, I know I'm kind of slow in fucking writing. It's because I keep getting distracted by things like, I don't know, grass growing or fucking... <laughs> Uh, just other stuff in life uh, that, that interests me and lots of things interest me and then suddenly you realize damn two months have gone by and you've not you've just you've been rehearsing as a band but you've not actually jammed anything new and then you spend like another month sort of like spending your time writing and then maybe out of every sort of like 10 or 20 new riffs that you come up with only one makes it past muster because i'm my own worst critic and i want everything to be as the best it possibly can be. And I think uh, that's always been, in the early days, everything we wrote, we used, didn't we? Everything mm. we thought, that's great, let's do it, let's put it yeah. together. But that was, you know, we were starting, we needed like a, a collection of songs, we needed to have enough songs to do a gig. Or do so, a demo. Yeah, but, to do a demo, so you'd, you'd, you'd use everything you have and try and make it into a, a good song, and that's what we did. But as far as, like, unused material, yeah, there's bits and bats I'd use again, and I was going through my archive at the last couple, and I found loads of fun about uh, 10 to 15 riffs that I think are fucking worthy, or parts, and I think, okay, that's a good basis, and I started writing some new, and again, I started um, demoing little bits with the German drummer, and I think we put a bit on it. Up on a little bit up on Instagram, but it's kind of changed again since then. And this is one of my other terrible, terrible habits from rehearsal to rehearsal, everything changes, and the rest of the band get really angry. <laughs> I say, Okay, we've rehearsed this all this week, and I come back a week later, say, No, nope, that bit's gone. I've written this, it's completely different. I want to try this instead. 
I'm going to make them try every possible fucking variation of drum pattern because I want to hear how, how it's like going back to like, I want to hear how things work or I want to have a go myself. It's hands on. I don't just want to be satisfied by everything. It's got to be the best that we can be. Right. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's got to a point where it just becomes, it could be com- uh, uh, construed as sort of like uh, some sort of OCD, but some people say it's perfectionism or some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder that I've got to try every possible variation before I'm saying, okay, that, that were you right. That, that 33rd one was the best and this was 68 in dog shit. So, um, that's just the way it goes. Uh, what was the artwork question? How did we come yeah, up with what, what was the original question? <laughs> hey, we're about artwork. Lamentation. Uh, uh, lamentation. No, he asked something else after that. New Dark Age. Well, at the time, I was very, very much into the Art Nouveau scene, which, of course, the top exponents of were Harry Clark, Harry with an eight. Unfortunately, I dropped my hit. And Aubrey Beardsley. And these two guys were sort of like pioneers. And if you look into the Art Nouveau, uh, movement went hand in hand we art deco and it's absolutely beautiful it really really is and it's different and unique and i've seen some harry clark artwork mm. can we that is the kind that's the visual side that i want the new dark age and so that, he did some uh he did some really great uh edgar Allan poe uh prints that's right uh, I've got that volume um, as well. Uh, with all these, in fact, some of the stuff is taken out of that Edgar Allan Poe uh, volume. And we made a, a montage using a lot of this artwork and just came up with some of that had shades of the uh, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, uh, I believe we thought at the time, but also looking really weird and strange. And it was very, very different for what anybody else was doing at the time. Very, very different. No one else had done this and no one else would have probably even considered it. But us, because was stupid or i was stupid and then um of course now uh you've got the incredibly talented karmazid doing artwork in this event but every band every band's mother and every band's mother's dog all want to use karmazid's artwork on their demo and now it's not so unique i kind of thought when we did white art i wouldn't be revisiting that style again because it's again i want something different Right. Uh, but it was definitely the uh, Art Nouveau uh, of Harry Clark, who was Irish, and Aubrey Beardsley that really caught my uh, imagination, fired it up. I just thought this is some of the most, and especially when you see in Aubrey Beardsley stuff, the strange sexual undertone, hidden phallic members and fucking, it was like, yeah, it's totally freaky. It's freaky. It's It's also very, what's the word? I can't remember. I'll, I'll, I won't waste any more time by going on. But it, yeah, those two. Those two. And like, it's that whole thing again about not revisiting where you've been before or trying to move it on somewhere else. It's like when, as soon as I saw um, uh, Christmas artwork, uh, I just thought, holy fuck, this guy has got something. And I really, really wanted him to, to do our artwork because I think he's different. Again, he's, he has shades of 70s sci-fi, shades of pusshead. Um, he's, 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 everything that I've seen that he's done in full colours, full of colour pieces, just blows my mind. And I loved the Dream Death album cover. He loved it. Just blew my fucking mind. And I think I saw his artwork on there for a 
I've got, I've got to get this win. He's ended up doing us four picks, and I'm eternally grateful to have had a chance to use his artwork because to me, it's just perfect. I love his fun way he uses colours. It's very, uh, it's, it's very much him when you look at his style. You can see what he's influenced by or inspired by. Inspired's a better word rather than influenced. Right. Inspired rather than he's not thinking I am going to He's inspired by certain things. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's my t- that's my explanation for New Dark Age artwork. As far Leonard, as are you still playing music? Who? Leonard? I'm sorry, did I get your name wrong? Yes, yeah, he has. In fact, he's got a classical project and that's something that's like, um, I'll let you explain yeah. it. Kind of, I, I would call it, we were talking about this yesterday. I'm oh, sorry, I'll interject before he explains. Yeah. We were talking about songwriting. And again, I'll, I'll bring this back to Tom from Wild Evan Wept. Um, listening to like other styles of music and learning your song structure and how to make things more dynamic and the first things that tom explained to me or, or sort of like tried to instill into me and myself and lennart were talking yesterday about stuff that we were listening to uh, i have to take breaks periodically from listening to heavy metal or listening to like early 80s fucking hardcore punk or four and we were listening to like yesterday what we people call synth with stuff. Yeah, yeah, like... like but we were listening to, like, we were listening for different ways they were structuring the songs and how they present melodies and how they build up, um, which kind of brings me on to Leonard's projects, which... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you explain <laughs> yeah. them while I get over get a quick drink yes. of water. Uh, well, I, I never stopped making music. Uh, even when I moved back to Holland, uh, I played in a, in a few punk bands and uh, toured a bit with that, and that was all fun. Uh, then I became a father... So I didn't have that much time for, you know, gigging every weekend anymore. So, uh, you know, I slowed down a bit, but I never stopped playing. And uh, right now I'm doing uh, a lot of stuff, actually, and it's all very different to the do metal stuff, but you can still hear it back in it. I have one project that is like sort of like classical orchestral, like film music, you know, like cinematic. uh, Yeah. I've made two albums with that, and uh, it's not very well known yet, but... I'm hoping to get there and hopefully I'd love to do like, uh, you know, like movie, like film scores or something like that. I'd really love to do that. And I'm working on another project and uh, yeah, it's more like a mix between sort of metal industrial and dark like, wave. and like, and like dark wave. It's got synthesizers <laughs> in it, but it's also got like heavy guitars in it. And uh it's got me attempting to sing in it, so uh, and I thought it would that's, actually, that's novel. I, it was, I actually really loved it. Yeah, you really it, liked it. Uh, I thought I was just blown away. One of the things I've always said about Leonard is like, because we at one point, about 1992, when we both lived in the same city, we were in seven bands together. Yeah, and I know. Every night <laughs> band. And he's the most talented bastard I've ever met. The only other person I could think of that were very similar to Leonard in terms of how many instruments he could play, were James Ashby, who drummed for a couple of years. And I love people like this, and I was so jealous, because my, myself and Leonard, I'd always end up playing guitar, but Leonard would be playing sort of like drums, or playing the other guitar, or playing bass, <laughs> or the, the, uh, the bongos, or the maracas, <laughs> or, or the washboard, or the yeah. spoons, or something like that. Uh, but we, this is a life we, we led back then. Seven bands. I know, it was insane. We, 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 we were playing in Amnias, One, Wartorn, Solstice, Die You Fucker. Yeah. Uh, we the band <laughs> Lone Wolf. Lone, Lone Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> our, other, our other doom metal band, Lone Wolf, which, um, Die You Fucker, I think we only yeah. existed for two years. I think so too, yeah. And, um, 
uh, it's fucking, we split up. We're already a two-piece, but we split up due to musical differences. <laughs> fucking, you know what I mean? Even though we both wanted to play the fucking music, we managed That's to split up the musical differences. Rebel Cheer and Angel. Rebel Cheer and Angel, <laughs> fucking hell. Rebel Cheer and Angel were a band that lasted for one gig. And we told everybody we were across between Repulsion, Sepultura and Morbid Angel. And... I don't know why we did it, but we actually fucking did it. And yeah. we just covered ourselves in bullet belts and got on stage and got this guy to scream down fucking microphone while we played it a fast, aggressive, fucking basic death and black metal, <laughs> which ended in some sort of dramatic climax involving a sacrifice and a child's doll and some fake blood. I think it must have been, we kept doing shit like this, but we actually did loads of serious stuff as well. We did, but we also did a couple of stuff that was just for a laugh to see how far people would take it, how serious <laughs> they would take us. It, it's um, sort of like a, a Lone Wolf was the precursor to Solomon Kane, and Lone Wolf with a guy called Motorhead Johnson, and John's, uh, I'll give you the other quick uh, business uh, uh, a quick plug for my next business venture. I'm actually launching my own cider next oh. year, and I'm very much into proper still dry English cider, uh, preferably between seven and nine percent alcohol per pint. And John, the singer of Lone Wolf, is a professional uh, cider brewer, and he's got his own small. You call him, and so I think he's um, listed on the back of the Death's Crown is victory. <clears throat> as a, but that I'm sponsored by uh, Grumpy John's Cider. It's fantastic stuff. I, I'll drink myself blind, you know, so I can't fucking... Um, anyway, myself and John, John's uh, brewing me up a special cider with some brands, along with... Uh, it's not going to be launched as a cider, because I think bands who do, especially if you've tasted the motor, you might as well be drinking horse's urine. I think horse's <laughs> urine would taste better than piss a still fucking warm corpse. This is going to be proper, like... Ed Fuck material, and it's not going to have my name on it's, it's my own brand. I'll be advertising probably in March, April. For, it's only going to be like fucking maybe 400 bottles of it. We're just doing it as an experiment to see if people like it. It's going to be brewed to my and John's taste, that's stronger than it's normal. So what was the question? I've just uh, been telling you, my We were talking about... Um... <laughs> Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf. So anyway, John was the singer of Lone Wolf, which was the precursor to Solomon Kane. And again, people thought the band were fucking real, and we did a bunch yeah. of gigs. And so it was like a crossover band between members of Solstice and members of another local band called Chorus of Ruin. And we were half an hour, and then we had Motorhead John singing. And we all adopted stupid names and made God, the most God, ridiculous God. costumes. Oh. So we looked like a cross between uh, Witchfinder General and, and, and The Sweet. And John had a, <laughs> a four-foot-high leopard-skin top hat, fucking Christmas tree lights sewn into God, his yeah. shirt that lit up, leopard-skin bell-bottom trousers. And we played one fucking gig at a local venue, and he had to come down. He stood at the top of the fucking stairs before he came down to it. And it was pitch dark, and he pressed the fucking lights on his fucking Christmas tree lights shirts, lit up and did the Aussie pose. Let me hear you howl, Bradford! And because he got fucking platforms on and it was dark, he started walking down, and he fell fucking headlong down, fucking straight downstairs, his top hat on. Oh, we're God. all fucking falling about laughing. I had a bright green druid robe on, sweating like fucking um, the old solstice bassist on gyro day. Fucking, um, well, yeah, we were notorious for doing that shit. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm really grateful that people didn't fucking kill us for doing all these like stupid pranks and, and silliness. In, because, of course, there is a serious side of it. As I said, that's the, the, the music uh, and, and the lyrics. But I think 
maybe some people are disappointed when they meet us that we're a bunch of jokers and we're normal. Uh, do you know what I mean? And we don't sort of like say, yeah. Well, we are, in a way, heavy metal warriors, but we don't sort of like pretend to be right. fucking 24-7. Do you know what I mean? I know right. what I like. I like what I know. I am what I am. And if you don't like it, don't bother me. Do you know what I mean? I'm still here doing it. And that's that's the thing. Uh, I think just be yourself and motivate part for it. Be yourself. Do well, it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I remember the question. Yeah. Uh, you were going to Google some, did you? Yeah, did you uh, find out the name of the movie? Well, I found Jeffrey Coombs on my incredibly ancient iPhone. He was in Wikipedia. I'm just looking on Wikipedia. Pretty well listed. <laughs> Uh, oh, filmography, and I'll tell you, no, reanimate from you on some cellar dweller. Remember cellar dweller? Have you ever seen cellar dweller? That's was old. Was that Empire Pictures or old Full Moon Entertainment? I think that put that out. The Lurking Fear was the uh, other film. Ah, now there's three different fucking versions of that. Three different entirely films that uh, deal with that same story. And the original question was, what's the best Lovecraft fucking film you've seen? Now, there's an early 90s one, and again, I've fuck, fucking forgotten the, the title, and Perry from Destiny's End turned me on to this film, and I thought, this is actually a pretty good Lovecraft adaptation. I can fucking remember the title. I'll fucking, I, I can't be, I'd, I'd spend all night now Googling stuff, and I shouldn't do. There's another interesting film, uh, which I found as interesting as The Void, and I think it was called In Europe, Black Mountain, and it were some loggers working in up, up in up in mountains near an indian burial ground some there in that burial ground that they were sending them all mad and murdering each. and it was almost like um, an a, a strange antlered apparition towards the end but what really struck me at the end of when they were killing each other was the brutality and the realism of the fucking murder but one scene really struck me where this one of them just bursts into the other's cabin and just shoots him in the face with a shotgun it's so brutal and looks so fucking realistic it's frightening i mean really really it's a really sort of like cold and um downbeat film in a way but it's creepy and it's weird and it's got those lovecraft overtones you should really actually look it up and see if it is because the name of that one again black mountain black mountain. um but i can't say i mean of course when i were a teenager I loved From Beyond. I loved Reanimator. Do you know what I mean? I thought From Beyond was one of the best movies I'd ever seen. But it's just reality is when you look back at it. Now, it's not particularly true to the stories. Right. They're good, good fun. They're good fucking fun. I mean, there's always, but what were the, um, what was the company that were doing the Lovecraft films on DVD? Ah, oh, fucking hell. They did, uh, get my fucking memory in town. Uh, I'm trying to think. They did a lot of radio plays as well. Oh, um, and I've oh, got... that the HP Lovecraft Society. That's it, they, yeah. yeah. There's, a, plays there's a great little uh, label too uh, called Cadabra Records. Has been putting out a lot of um, on vinyl. I, they do full uh, music scores and uh, readings by famous. I guess they get famous actors to come in to to read old Lovecraft stories. But um, yeah, Lovecraft Society. They put out some really great. Uh, some really great stuff and it was beautifully packaged as well uh, again really taking care of the aesthetic and uh, making things worthwhile and worth your money and uh, that's something else i could complain about uh, uh, i could go off on a tangent talking about shitty record labels and shitty packaging and being mean-spirited with bands and, and barely giving them any money i'll tell you a fucking great story uh 
right after Whitehall Sill came out and we were getting tons of press in Europe and we were getting offers from all sorts. I was laughing and laughing and laughing. And Metal Blade came along and they offered us the equivalent of 2,000 British pounds to record another album. How I laugh, how I chortled. <laughs> 2,000 pounds, I said. Surely you jest, squire, you fucking wanker. Um, you couldn't fucking record like Arthur Drums with £2,000. Who the fuck is going to record an album on £2,000 fucking pounds? So I told basically the person who was acting the go between the go-between and us and Metal Blade to go fucking swivel. We, I think this is a, an, another, going off and again on a tangent, people think that a lot of labels um, they find me difficult to deal with because... They can offer so much money, and I'm just not fucking interested. I'd rather do it myself. You know, we paid for the last album ourselves. We paid for the artwork. We paid for recording. We, we fucking were about to press it again, like we did with Death's Crown music today, and we, we would have done it. Uh, the only thing that stopped us was, at the time, I didn't have the time to sit packaging up vinyl orders like I would normally, and doing it all myself and not giving a fuck. But for a self-produced album that's uh, self-recorded and self-financed, suddenly to get number one album in, in Europe's biggest and best metal magazine and get us the front cover, that were a fucking shock for all these labels and all these people in all these big bands that we just gone out and just proved them fucking wrong, that we put out a quality product with no fucking, because we didn't give a fuck and we don't need... I think that's the difference between our ethos uh, and everything else. Uh, or everyone else, I say. And I'm glad to say that, that some of the bands are, are taking up that flag as well and will do that again. Get up off your ass and fucking do it. Do it yourself. You don't need... I didn't need metal, and I still don't need it. So, Brian Slagle, if you're listening to this, a very jolly fellow, and I would like to offer you a side of bacon, uh, but I'm not going to, and you can keep your foot, so get <laughs> I got to ask before we let you go, uh, I, Solstice is accredited to forming on the summer solstice in 1990. Is that uh, surely not coincidental? The light idea was around that time because, as I say, we've been spending uh, a lot of, uh, several years listening to bands like Revelation and Dream Death and Trouble. But the actual real date we formed was November 1990, the same virus, which is, uh, I think, the summer solstice thing came from the false bio we made up for Solomon Kane. Uh, we said we formed the summer solstice of 1972 in, in a burnt-out squat in Swindon, fucking wherever that is, somewhere in the south of England. And I think a lot of things get confused. But it was at a St. Vitus gig, and we have been listening to this kind of music for several, sort of like heavily into it. And I think, again, I would have to say, as progressing out of that, I think uh, I'll just mention sort of like early Manowar uh, gave us a, a shot in arm we needed. Um, and I'd say one of my other favourites, I prefer Black Metal Bathory. Under the Sign of a Black Mark is probably in my top 10 album of all time. And I remember buying that when it came out and we were walking down the main street of our town with it on like a, used to call it, ghetto blast even though we weren't from the ghettos we were from the horrible northern working class pit villages in england um we didn't work from the ghettos of new york but they used to call them ghetto blasters and we had that on tape and we're walking down drinking cider with that fucking blazing on fucking full volume and all the old people scurrying away going ag what's that horrible noise <laughs> but it's stuff like that that i actually find just as inspiring and that's just as epic as say i don't know uh, Broke a cell under the sign of Black Mark, or just as epic as Into Glory Ride. 
it's just one of those albums and it's a pivotal point because it's epic in a different way um i'll mention if you're thinking about epic music in a different way i think fairport conventions legion lethal is incredibly incredibly beautiful uh or the song um let me think mr fox album. mentioned under the sign of the black mark uh, i mentioned eric danielson earlier uh, with Tane, that you guys are two of my favorite lyricists. Uh, that's most what I would compare them to is under the sign of the Black Mark Bathory style. Well, you know, Quaffon's like a big influence on like literally everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he rests wherever he's resting now. And for some of us of a certain age, it, it's, in the 80s, we used to call a lot of people posers because you knew they were they were genuinely not really into it. They'd be around for a couple of years, they'd buy all the, and they'd buy all the fucking... Um, the right records and then they disappear off scene you know what I, mean? right. I kind of think yeah your first albums from any band are going to be your favorite one i'd be a liar if i say that i, I think following that i think I, I love the epic stuff just as much but my favorite battery what i always keep going back to is the return and run it sign up yep. absolute favorite but the return is just fucking evil it's oh, just yeah. so minimalistic fucking evil do you know what i mean yeah I love those uh, albums too, but I am a Hammerheart guy. More yeah, of a- I mean, that's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Blood and Ice. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Masterpiece, masterpiece. And Nordland 1 and 2 as well. I mean, when people started uh, slagging off Destroyer of Worlds, and I think if you go back to it, I think mm. some great material on that. And people slagged off Requiem. And I bought the albums. I'm sure it's his attempt to doing Razor Soft Rash. It's good in its own way. And as a fan, I bought them. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't right. be my go-to album. But, you know, going back again, you're always going to love those things that influence you most. And Under the Sign of a Black Mark were just fucking huge influences on us at the time. It's kind of like, uh, I think the only other thing that really blew us away at that time were probably fucking genocide stench of burning death demo 1985 master album stuff like that in terms of like aggression dream death album for that for the more doomy stuff first trouble album you know these kind of like pivotal records that you remember and then obviously bands as i say progress and and, and move on and all good bands should do you can see right. for example how trouble moved on over the first four albums, right onto Manic Frustration, which were a little bit too sort of like, uh, I won't say commercial, a little bit too light compared to the fourth. Yeah. Uh, just for my taste, it's not something I'd, I'd rush back to either, but I, I go back to the fourth Trouble album, and I go back to Psalm 9, and I go back to The Skull or Unto the Light. So, yeah, some bands don't progress. Um, some bands do. Um, it's just the way it happens, just the way it goes. Yeah. So... So we've touched on the er- the earlier work is legendary. I'm also a huge fan of the band's work with Paul Kearns. The guy's got a hell of a voice. Can you just talk mm-hmm. about what Paul brought to the table? I think Paul brought uh, a lot of enthusiasm to the table. And um, I were a big fan of his voice as well. And also, I, uh, from my point of view, I wasn't disappointed with Paul's lyrics too much. Do you know what I mean? I just let him get on with it. Uh, Andy, the other guitarist, hated them and always thought they were a load of bollocks. But I said, well, you know, we're letting him flourish uh, uh, and try out his craft mm-hmm. and work on it. And I think that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, I think overall, after eight years working together, you know, I've no regrets about it. It's as simple as that. Uh, Paul's right. not with the band anymore, but that's just, just the way it goes and people move on and people, uh, no need for any sort of like ill feeling or anything right. like that. So, 
Good luck to Paul. I mean, his uh, stuff with Arcane Sun, I think it's Arcane Sun, were great as well. And he's got a very unique tone to his voice. My only thing, things I wish Paul would have rehearsed more and rehearsed his parts more. Um, and this is one of the, the reasons that led to us parting ways. You know, Paul, Paul is a, a great talent, a really great talent. But he needs to sort of like practice uh, on what, reaching the potential of what he can reach so and that's all, all there is to say about it. he just needs to like fucking when he puts his mind to it he's fucking amazing and that, that's all there is you know that you find that with a lot of people they've got a talent yeah. and fucking waste it so you know no hard feelings good luck to him and i hope he does fucking well in future so but he's he's off to that's well that's said. henry do you have anything else for rich before we let him get the hell out of here no i don't think so my uh, God, we've been yeah. going on for two hours. <laughs> we've been talking. <laughs> so I it's guess before, before we cut it off, uh, just tell folks where, uh, about anything that's on the horizon for Solstice. Where can they can find your stuff? Uh, well, you can find our stuff by going to Bandcamp. You can find our stuff. We've got uh, four vinyl reissues coming out. We're going on to fourth pressings of everything, which I'm quite proud of. Um, so we still sell a lot of vinyl, um, a lot. More, I think a lot. I think our vinyl sells a lot faster than literally every every other band in underground. So we, we found that we went through three pressings in somewhat like fucking ridiculous two fucking months. But it's always been case because a lot of our fan base buys vinyl first and foremost. One of the reasons why I said, well, we'll we'll put stuff out on vinyl first, and then we'll see to a CD later. We still haven't put out white oscill and cassette yet. And I like cassettes too. So there's these reissues come in. I'm working on a new album. I'm working on an Eason Tour EP. I'm working on myself personally so I can be more like, well, I don't know, um, William Shatner, possibly. <laughs> in TJ Hooker. That's a good so goal. Yeah. Too, then. yeah, I'm going to start singing like William Shatner's solo album. <laughs> or like Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas in the 70s fucking albums and shit like Damn, it's that sense of humour again. You shouldn't have that. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I, I, my aim in life is to be like William Shatner. And just, well on your I, way. I fucking hope so. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have been a waste of a life if I fucking hadn't. That's, no, just like carry on writing new album. Uh, get more lyrics down. Get more music down. Push harder. Wait for this bullshit to fucking end so we can go out and play shows again. Um, just to be the loudest, heaviest, outrageously outrageous band we possibly can in the given sort of like framework of what we're going to um, work in. But it will be slightly different again. Um, don't expect White Horse Hill again. Don't expect New Dark Age. So it'll sound like both those albums, but it won't be those albums. What I mean, because we've all, there'll be certain motifs that you'll hear musically. But we, we need to sort of like bring something new in again. And that's my secret for being satisfied for myself. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. And I'm sort of like, I've not, I'm not disappointed with anything we've done. Uh, I look back on it. I've no regrets. The only regrets that I have is probably not the drummer from the skull at uh, Hell's Pleasure Festival. <laughs> but that's uh, his bad. Got to take those opportunities when they come. Yeah. Up. Well, you know, I, I, I did. <laughs> it were a bit of a, you go. No, that's actually the. Um, that's my only regret. No, that'd be alive. I think the only regret I've, I've, I've really got is not being able to sort of like get past that OCD and be sort of like really, yeah, this'll do, this'll do, this'll do, or being able to make a decision quicker. And I think that's probably 
uh, that's probably part of, might be a mental health issue. I don't know, but it is like an OCD and I, and I, and I wish I could put stuff out quicker, but I want it to be perfect. And, and it just fucking worries me if it's not. And it worries me if I could think that, uh, that it's not the best I can do and people might not like it. And, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to start having a, uh, some sort of like fucking uh, seizure and rolling about on the floor and fucking throwing myself out of six story windows into huge piles of fucking cow dung, fucking uh, well dressed as William Shatner and TJ Hooker. Uh, season two, of course, because everybody knows <coughs> season two, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah. so, I'm sorry, I'm just going it's off on fine. a time again. Yeah. You probably would be better giving me some sort of like medication and putting me to bed now. (laughs) (laughs) Strapped down or fucking something like that. So Can I still do some shameless self-promotion? Of course you can. I talked about my projects, right? But I never told you what they were called. Let's hear it. Yeah. Uh, But like the the orchestral project is like sort of uh, orchestral doom, I call it. And you Mm. can hear the influences back in it. It's called Hand of Nothing. It's also uh, to be found on Bandcamp and Spotify too, Al. Uh, the other project's called The Blade Itself, the more wavy industrial thing. I have one song out now on Bandcamp, but I'm working on an entire album. There'll be uh, a couple of more songs on there sometime in the next week. There'll be three songs to listen to. It's different. It's a lot different to the Solfi stuff. And yeah. If you're interested in like music and synthwave and how someone might... I, I personally, I didn't find it particularly industrial. Nice. I found it. I found it sort of like melancholic and dark wave, and I was very, very, very pleased with the vocals because it's the first time he's sung, and I thought, well, this actually sounds really good. And I like to encourage people as mm-hmm. well, and I especially like to encourage my friends to express themselves musically. So yeah, it's a good plug, and people should have a listen to something. Maybe they won't like it. Maybe they will if they do. Never know. Support him and buy a download. If not. Cool. It's it's sort of like it's someone expressing themselves musically. Um, regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Oh, <laughs> that sounded ridiculous, didn't it? Yeah. I should really, really come up with something like "Arg fight for metal while wearing studded leather wristbands and a cut-off denim with a hundred brand new patches on." Fucking <laughs> yeah, something like that. sarcasm. Uh, sarcasm is a good tool as well, but. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to do their own thing. Sorry, this is completely off on a tangent again. Do your own thing. If you're a young kid and you've just come into metal or anything, don't let fucking people look down the fucking nose at you. It's as simple as that. Everybody's got to start somewhere. And nobody knows everything. Uh, no one's a fucking expert. Do you know what I mean? I'm still discovering bands this fucking day. I agree. A lot of fucking... And if people give you shit, just tell them to get fucked. It's as simple as that. Whether it's a figure authority or someone else in fucking... Don't fucking mind. Just do your own fucking thing. Be an individual. Obviously, that's the most important thing in fucking life, being an individual. And, and, and yeah, just treat everybody fucking right. And brush your teeth at night. And remember <laughs> to cave as well. And, and put the dog out. Uh, <laughs> fucking, yeah, sorry. Right. What were the names Terrible. of those uh, projects again? Mine? Yes. Uh, Hand of Nothing. Hand of Nothing. Hand of yeah. Nothing. Got you. Yeah. yeah. And the other one's called The Blade Itself. The Blade Itself. I'm going to check those out when we get out of here. Thanks. Same. <coughs> right. All right. Well, I must apologize for going off on so many tangents and talking so much shite. Do not apologize. And you've heard it from Rich himself, everybody. Get fucked. And everyone Actually, have. My, my catchphrase is go fuck a horse. Go fuck <laughs> a horse. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure that gets into the final cut. Oh, um, it will. I'll put it yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> Comedy classic. 
um, yeah, but thank you very much for taking yeah. the time to interview us, and thank you for letting Lennox sit in as well. Cheers. It's our pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, thank you guys, and we'll be in touch for sure. All right. All right, guys. Thank you very much.